There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jeff, are you telling me if I give God a dollar like those TV preachers say he'll give me 10? No, 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 no. It's up to God to determine in what form the blessing comes. But I'll tell you this, it's a direct promise. He says, man, you give me what's rightfully mine and I will open the windows of heaven. How does that apply to us today? If you honor God, God will give you everything you need. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today's message is the last in the Broke series, a series that's helped us find hope when we're broke or broken down. You can find the whole series on most podcast apps. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. In the last episode, Pastor Jeff asked a big question. What do we want out of this life? As he continues to help us think about the answer to this question, he'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So here's what I want to do in this message. I want to give you two ways I believe God kicks you and me out of the nest. Here's the first. He changes our perspective by reminding us that it's all daddy's money anyway. He changes our perspective by reminding us that it's all daddy's money. Come on, fathers. How many times has your little boy or little girl come to you and said, Dad, can I have some money? I want to get you a birthday present. (laughs) Right? say, you know what? I have been a good dad this year and it is my birthday. I'll take those new ping G5 irons. Here you go, son. Instead, we give him like five or 10 bucks. That's our own fault. We're robbing from ourselves. (laughs) But it's still our money, no matter how much we give, right? That's the analogy God is about to use with us. Hey, everything you have is really mine. It doesn't belong to you. You are clutching and holding something that is not yours. And so in Malachi chapter three, verse eight, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Wow. That's a pretty aggressive kick out of the nest. God says, when you refuse to bring the tithe to me, what is rightfully mine, you in fact are robbing me. Now, why does God use such harsh language? It's pretty difficult. It may be painful. It may be scary. The fall may be, out of the nest, irrevocable, irrecoverable. But the truth is, 
God by reminding us that the whole tithe belongs to God. And if we withhold it, we are stealing from Him. He hopes that we will have a paradigm shift, that we will change the way we're thinking about all the stuff we have, and we will move from mine, mine, mine to His, His, His. And that's why in every message in this series, I've read to you from Psalm 24, so I'm going to do it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now look, God's smart. You know that, right? He knows guilt will never change the way you use your money. I'm not into guilt, coercion, or manipulation. Forget it. He's not into that either. He knows that projects will not change the way you use your money. If I brought Ajay Law from India in here every week and you gave him $30,000 to do his work in India, that's, not still, that's still not going to change the way you look at your money and the way you use your money over the long haul. God knows that you need a paradigm shift, a shift in your thinking. So he basically says this to you. In order to help free you, to get you out of this nest, your generosity begins by understanding this one principle. I have a legal claim to 10% of everything that you own. Now, follow me. Every time I bring a message like this, and quite frankly, for most of my Christian life, every time I heard one like this, I tried to look for the exit and sneak out. Because we don't like it. But the tithe is not an old law principle. For years, I justified, I said, well, that's old law. No, no, it's not. Look, there's no 10% tithe in the Old Testament. It's actually 23%. It's a tax on the nation of Israel to operate as a nation. The 10% starts way back before the Mosaic law ever came into being because it reveals to you and me the heart of God. Listen, go over, first of all, I've mentioned this before, that Abraham, hundreds of years before Moses, brought tithes and offerings to Melchizedek. But look in Genesis chapter 4. This is before the law ever came into being. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked over with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And in other words, God was displeased. Why? They both gave something. Why can't he be pleased with both? Because one gave the very best, the first fruits, the 10%, the tithe, the other gave what was left over. And God was not pleased. That's been his heart from the very beginning. It's true that tithe does mean one-tenth. I know that. But more than that, it evolves to the Old and New Testament, to the idea of the first tenths, the first fruits, the very best of the very best, the fat, the good stuff goes to God. In other words, we're not talking about leftovers or as my children call it, left odors. G. Campbell Morgan helps us understand this when he defines the term sacrilege for us. He says most people, when they define the term sacrilege, define it as taking something that is sacred and using it profanely. But he says that's not the only definition of sacrilege. Sacrilege is also defined as taking something that means little or nothing to you and giving it to God. You would not, listen, you would not give leftovers to an esteemed guest in your house. If there's an esteemed guest, you're not going to bring out the leftovers. You're going to bring the very best stuff. God knows that. And to help us get out of the tree and stop clutching, the very first step of generosity is that God says, here's what you need to know. I have a 10% claim, legal claim on everything that you have because everything, evidently, everything originally, that is, comes from me. 
So the tithe is off the top of what you make, not after you pay the government, not after you pay your bills. You say to me, Jeff, wait a second, wait just a moment. Uh, are you telling me that uh, I have, I mean, what if I can't pay my bills? I need that 10%. Here's my answer to you. That 10% does not belong to you to use. That's where the paradigm shift is. You only get the 90% of everything you make. The other 10 belongs to God. It doesn't factor into your budget sheet. It's already gone. God, in effect, is saying this. If you're using somebody else's money to pay your bills, there's only one word for that. Stealing. Wait a minute, Jeff. Let me get this straight. God says everything comes from him. He gives it to me. And he says, okay, it's all mine. But I tell you what, you keep 90, just give me 10. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. 90 and 10. That's where the paradigm shift occurs. That's where it happens. When we realize everything comes from God, he says, I tell you what, you keep the 90. For whatever you want to do, I want the 10. As a sign of your commitment. As a sign of your acknowledging my generosity. As a sign that you're acknowledging that we have been blessed with more than we need. And that to whom much is given, much is required. So God, we honor you. As a matter of fact, God, we look for ways to honor you. We give out of an opportunity, not an obligation. We don't say, how much do I have to give and not be in trouble with God? We look for areas and ways that we can give more. We're 2 Corinthians chapter 9 people. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Our primary desire is that God's kingdom grows and that Jesus' work goes on. That's why you have to stop and ask yourself of authenticity. Am I an authentic believer? Am I somebody that really above and beyond everything else, I want the work of Jesus Christ to go forward in the world? Jesus says, if that's true, then wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, later on in 2 Corinthians 9, the Bible says this, God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody comes to me and says, well, Jeff, right there is why I don't give. Because if I give, I'm not very cheerful about it. Especially if I tithe, I'm not very happy. So I don't want to violate a principle of scripture because if I give, I'm not cheerful. All right, I got some advice for you. I do, it's good. If you can't give cheerfully, fake it. <laughs> fake it. Because if you do the right thing long enough, your emotions will get in line. And then here's the other thing. I love this part about this passage. Here's what God says in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this says the Lord of hosts. In other words, this is the attitude of the Lord. He comes and says, all right, you and me, try me on this. You know, he doesn't say that anywhere else. This is the only place when it's concerning our money and our stuff, he says, test me, try me. Now, how many of you know what a gauntlet is? All right, good. A gauntlet is a huge, thick glove that protects your hand when you're in a sword fight in days gone by. Big glove. So when you were when you were at odds with another individual and you had had enough of their verbal abuse and you said, hey, I know what you're insinuating. You can't talk about my mother like that. You can't talk about my family or my family's family. Let's go. And he takes the glove off and he throws down the gun. He says, just you and me, one on one. Let's get it on and solve this. Do you know that is the Hebrew word term used in this Old Testament passage? That God looks at you and says, you want some of me, do you? Huh? huh? You don't think I know what you make? You don't think I know what you give? You don't think that I know that you don't believe I can make good on my promises? All right. And he throws down the gauntlet and he says, test me, try me, you and me one-on-one. -on -one. Let's get it on. Man, I love that. That's good. 
I will not let you down, God says. And I want you to test me because I want you to be able to soar and live a life of generosity. I want you to live the life that you were truly meant to live. But as long as you're clutching and holding the nest, oh man, what a pathetic sight you're going to be of worry and anxiety and stress because you don't trust me. That's the first way God does it. He changes our perspective by reminding us that it's all daddy's money and then second and last and quick. He promises to get involved in the finances of those who honor him with what they have been given. He promises to get involved in the finances of those who honor him with what they've been given. Now stay with me, baby bird. Baby bird gets kicked out of the nest. But what if mom and dad kicked him out too early and his wings don't work? Plop. Okay, sorry about that. Next. (laughs) I would say it happens. But what God is trying to say, that's not the way I work. I boot you out of the nest. It's because I want you to fly on your own, but I want to tell you, I'm going to be right beside you the whole time. Here's how he says it. He says, I will open the windows of heaven. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. What is God saying? It's poetic license. He's saying, look, the reality is for many of you, for many of you, There's a barricade in the sky because if I bless you when you're robbing me and you're not giving what is rightfully mine, then I'll be contoning your thievery. So you've put up a barricade. But if you return to me what is rightfully mine, I will break down those barriers and I will start to pour out the blessings of heaven on you. Jeff, are you telling me if I give God a dollar like those TV preachers say he'll give me 10? No, 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 no. It's up to God to determine in what form the blessing comes. Not me. But I tell you this, it's a direct promise. He says, man, you give me what's rightfully mine and I will open the windows of heaven. Proverbs 3, a symbolic passage. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. How does that apply to us today? If you honor God, God will give you everything you need. Need. Not one, not luxurious hotel somewhere. I'm talking, he will give you everything you need. He promises that. Two, if you honor God, this is an amazing part of scripture I hardly ever get to talk about. It appears that if you give and you're a person of generosity, God will give you more because he knows you'll give it away. Now, here's the thing. This is, listen, I'm just gonna be blunt. Here's why we, these TV preachers miss it. You see, if you give God more because he's gonna give you more so you can buy a Mercedes or BMW, You're missing the point. He gives you more because he trusts you to give it away for his purposes. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'd like to give you some, but he needs to know that you are going to give it away. He doesn't give you more so that you can become more wealthy. That's what the promise is. And man, think about that. God's following you around. You're giving. He says, I saw that. Here's some more. You give, I saw that you, and your whole life, is a life of generosity and you feel like you're living all the time because you're making people smile. You're changing the world. God is using you to do it. Here is something I want to read to you quickly. We're coming near the end. Actually, we've been near the end a long time, but here we go. This is an email I received I want you to hear. I'm almost finished. Stay with me. Hi, pastors. I just wanted to share to give God the glory for the direction I have been getting from this church. It's been over three months now since we've been tithing, a major step of faith for us. Back in November, we got out a pencil and piece of paper and documented our financial situation to figure out a way to make it work. 
Jeff's message last weekend hit every point we addressed as a family three months ago. We cut back on coffee, soft drinks, on eating out, on movies, on cable, TV costs, cell phone extras, home phone extras. I am making my 89 Toyota with 200K plus miles, my main commuting vehicle. Talk about humility in the office parking lot. We spent less than 500 for the whole family on Christmas last year, all in cash. We are shopping smarter, tracking every penny spent, scrutinizing, adjusting our priorities of needs, wants, luxuries versus what is required. And after doing this and tithing, we are now financially stable enough to double up on car payments and pay it off in one year instead of three, saving a ton of interest we would have paid out and will free us up even more within a few months. Jeff, it's not been easy. I think of all the stuff I could have done with that money, toys, vacations, dot, 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 but it's not mine. I also know that trials may come. I could lose my job in this economy. My wife is worried we're doing the right thing, that we may lose our house, but I assure her it's not our house. It's not our income. All we can do is be obedient to God and trust him for our future. Thank you for your faithfulness and teaching and guidance. That is what it is to truly live, folks. No stress, no worry, to give it all to God. Okay, we come to the end. This is where I want to become your pastor through and through. All right, it's going to be hard. Don't worry, I'm not coming out now to take up an offering, okay? So that's not the kind of hard I'm talking about. I want you to listen to me for a moment. It's the end of the series, and I want you to know why I have taken the time to do what I did today. I don't know what anybody in our church gives, and I never want to know not my business, but I do know the level of our giving as a church. I know that almost eight to 9,000 people attend this church in a given month. I know we average around 5,000 people on a weekend, but eight to 9,000 people come two times or more a month. So there's about eight to 9,000 people that call Christ Church of the Valley their home. Out of that eight to 9,000 people, in 2008, only 1,611 gave on a regular basis. And out of those 1611, there are 266 families in our church out of eight to 9,000 that are tithing. 266. How do you know that, Jeff? Well, it's not exact and precise, but based on the average income of the valley and beyond our area, a $50,000 a household. Some of you make a lot less, but a lot of you make a lot more. The average being, being 50,000 a year, 10% would be 5,000. And I want to tell you that there are 266 families giving $5,000 at least. That means 17% of our church family of eight to 9,000 are giving the tithe, 17%, maybe. That means 83% of our church family is robbing God. Now. I'm not sugarcoated anything else. You, you didn't think I was going to sugarcoat this, did you? You see what happens when you hire a missionary as your senior pastor? <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned because I'm also concerned about the blessings that you're blocking that aren't coming down, the stress you may feel in this area of your life, not living the life that is truly life. Folks, a thousand families in our church gave less than $2,000 for the whole year. If they just gave $100 more a month, we'd have 1.2 million more to work with. But here's the number that really gets me. The church honored God and returned to God what rightfully belongs to him. Minimally, we would have $18 million coming in every year. $18 million. 
And man, do you know what we could do with that? Wow. We could build an apartment complex for the single mom. So when they lost their house, we'd give them a place to live until they get back on their feet again. We could start an after-school program in every school in the San Gabriel Valley so that these children who are homeless or who don't have enough money for food or clothes, we give them food or clothes and we teach them an instrument, we teach them a sport, we love them, we coach them, all of that. Be easy, piece of cake. All those preachers in India that are preaching and facing persecution and death, we can take care of their families. In Zimbabwe, we can dig enough wells of water to make sure every child in the country, every child could have pure, clean drinking water. Man, talk about being a city on a hill that could not be hidden. We'd have celebration around here all the time of what God is doing. Heaven would move earth, the name of Jesus would be proclaimed, and you and I'd be living the good life. That's right. We'd be living the good life. Here's what I want you to do then in closing. You were given a card in your bulletin. It looks like this. I'm going to ask you, don't worry, don't worry. Very simple. I'm going to ask you to do something between you and God. I'm going to ask you to take this card and check one of the boxes. It's kind of like baptism. No need to go home and think about it. You're either going to obey or you're not. Some of you are not tithing. Actually, uh, 80, 83% of you are not tithing. I think, yeah, 83%. At least, maybe more. I'm going to ask you to check the box that says, I will begin a lifestyle of generosity. Between you and God, that you want to begin. You say, well, Jeff, oh, you just don't understand. Listen, let me explain something to you again. Two things happen in this arena. The first thing is, somebody will say, well, I tithe. I just give my money everywhere. I've got to tell you something. There's no passage of scripture that I'm going to bring out because what you're doing is not wrong, but it's severely impractical. Jesus himself said, a house divided will not stand. If we can breathe the tithes into the storehouse, and if you want to give outside, that's fine. That's your offering. But the question I have for you is, where do you get your spiritual food? And if it's here, then bring the tithes into the storehouse. Pragmatically, then, we'll be able to do a lot more as a team of people. Some of you, you say, well, Jeff, I don't tithe. There's no way I can. All right, if you can't start at 10%, which I can't give you the, I can't give you the go-ahead on that, because God still says, I have a legal claim on 10% of everything that you have. But my goodness, start somewhere because most people in our church, when the offering is passed, they drop a 10 or a 5 or a leftover in of what they think they won't need. You're not systematic in your giving. You've never decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to start at least at 4%. I'm going to start here. I can't do this, although I probably could, but I don't have that faith, but I do have enough faith to start out at 4%. Then start somewhere. My goodness, start somewhere systematically setting aside what you're going to give. I want you to, if you would, check that box. There's a second box. Some of you are already tithing and you're generous givers. I'm going to ask you just to keep doing it. When the economy is like this, the temptation is to do this. Oh, I got to cut back in church giving. Hey, wait a minute now. Cut back your lattes. Cut back your hotels. Cut back your movies and your popcorn. Cut that back. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Keep giving to God what rightfully belongs to Him. And I'm asking you to check that box. Say, I'm going to continue my lifestyle of generous giving. And then there's a third box. I, we commit to increase my current level of generous giving tithing. This is for those of you who are extremely wealthy. There are some of you who are rich among the rich. We're all rich, but you're, I guess I can say, really rich. And your capacity to give is far beyond what you're doing. Now, I want you to understand something. Please, hear the heart of a pastor coming out. In God's eyes, this single mom over here who can only give a dollar because she makes 10 or 10 because she only makes 100 or 100 because she only makes 1,000. 
in God's mind, this is a work of sacrifice where the guy who makes a million dollars a year and gives 50,000, uh-uh. In God's mind, this is the one who gives the sacrifice. If everything comes from God and you make a million, you give, five, you give 50,000, you're $50,000 short. You're, no, you're not any more special than this lady over here who's given out of what she has. That's the whole story of the parable of the widow's might. It's not how much you give, folks. It's what you give in proportion to how God has blessed you. And that's what your pastor is asking. I'm asking you to check one of those boxes. You can put your name on it, or you may say, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, fine. Between you and God anyway. But I need to see the boxes because I need to know how you're responding to this message. I don't need to know your name, but I need to know if our people are responding. This will have a lot to do with how we do and where we go in the future and future ministry in the San Gabriel Valley and beyond. I need to know your heart. I need to know your intention. Don't necessarily need to know your name. Just your heart and intention that I'm going to start giving, continue giving, or I know that I'm rich among the rich and I'm going to give more. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.